I'm glad to be here today, and we're going to try something new. We're going to uh, send the audio in Spanish already, pre-recorded, and I'm just going to preach in English. Um, we're going to be opening our Bibles in Genesis 3. Last week, uh, Pastor John started a series about shalom in our home and everywhere else. He explained what shalom is, going deeper than just translating, as, uh, translating it as peace or absence of conflict. But biblically speaking, shalom is the way things ought to be. Pastor John expounded how in the beginning, shalom, and how shalom was meant to be with God, creation, and with one another. Today, as we continue with this series, Shalom in the Home and Everywhere Else, our focus will be on what happened to the original intent, how Shalom was broken by our, an intruder, sin, and only by God's grace it is being restored. Let's read then Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did you actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent, serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they uh, sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of your of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and, he, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, uh, the woman whom you gave, to, gave uh, to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, uh, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat. All of the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise you, your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have 
listen to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife named Eve, because she, is, she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work to work the ground from which he, has, she was, he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the uh, cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Pray with me, please. Father, we come to you asking that you would uh, clarify this uh, part of Scripture and touch our hearts, our minds, and touch my lips, Father, so I can expand, express uh, how important shalom was and is for you and for all of us. Help us understand better. In Jesus' name, amen. On Wednesday, when putting my two- and three-year-old boys to sleep, they asked me to read, read them The Runaway Bunny. I just left them, <laughs> left my book on, on, on my desk. But, but uh, if you've read it before to your children... It's a nice little book uh, by Margaret Weiss. So I read, once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I'm running away. If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you, for you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother. I will become a fisherman, and I will fish for you. If you become a fisherman, said the bunny, I will become a rock on the mountain high above you. If you become a rock on the mountain high above me, said his mother, I will be a mountain climber, and I will climb to where you are. So the little bunny continues making up stories on how he's going to run away from his mom, but the mom always comes back with a good solution. The runaway bunny doesn't realize how much love and care he has while enjoying a close relationship with his mom. Bunny is ready to go on his own, seeking for adventures. It might seem childish, but in a sense, I think that Adam and Eve were like the bunny, not appreciating the perfect relationship, the shalom they had with God. How did they get to that point of doubting God's goodness or thinking that something was lacking? They have this amazing world. Everything's new. They're made in the image of God. He's given them communion with him, communion with one another, and communion with creation. What else could they lack of? We see in verse 4, Satan comes in to introduce a doubt that leads to a temptation. Satan brings half-truths, challenging God's word. 
enticing her to believe Satan instead of her loving creator, who is protecting her from damnation. Very, very craftily, he asks the woman about God's saying, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman answered almost with the words of God, except that she does not name the tree by its name and adds a little of her known of her own. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die, she said. Then Satan responds to her saying, you will not surely die. Satan doesn't want her to see the full picture. And it's like if we could almost hear Satan's thoughts. You, surely, you will surely not die, at least not physically, for now. And you'll no longer have perfect communion with God, each other, or creation. And keeps telling the woman, your eyes will be open. God doesn't want you to see everything. Oh, and there's consequences to your disobedience. But we'll just skip that part, says Satan. He's such a controlling God and wants, you, wants to limit you. By the way, your eyes will be open to your own sin and rebellion. But you don't need to hear that either. And finally, with the knockout punch, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. This final temptation is the one Satan fell into. He wanted to be equal to God, as we read in Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. After this final punch, Eve falls straight to the mat. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Just like Adam and Eve, we often don't see the bitterness of sin or its consequences. We are enticed to doubt that God truly wants to give us shalom. We think that the grass is always greener somewhere else. We all have looked for those things, what the Bible calls the desires of the flesh. Things that we allow to become ultimate things. If I just had X, Y, and Z, I would be happy. A bigger house, more income, more friends, different friends, a better body, a different spouse, different job, etc. It's the same lie from the beginning. If God really loves you, and we let doubt creep in, or we think we know better, pride takes over, and we ultimately want to be in charge. To be our own God. And as we know, there are many cults and religions that believe that. If the lies take root and the temptation is not mastered, the consequences will be evident sooner or later. Either we're always searching for, for the next best thing or we'll be so full of ourselves that we act as if we know better than God. And ultimately, God's actual words are ignored. Eve gets so wrapped in Satan's conversation that she forgets God's words. How often we come and ask for God's will, but do we know God's will? Do we study it? Do we meditate on it? Even though it is a great habit to have, I confess that sometimes I need to push, push myself to do it, 
But once I'm there, God fills me with his joy. Knowing God's word is one of the best defense we have to fight against temptation and Satan himself. As our Lord Jesus showed us when he was tempted in the wilderness. If we don't, we're going to forget God's word and what he's actually said. And we're going to be tempted that something is better than God. As the words from, from Come Thou Found. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel that. Prone to live the one I love. May we be so aware of this tendency that we don't give Satan a foothold. So what are the consequences of their sin? When their eyes were opened, they realized their sinful state. They're, they are naked, but now... But they are naked. Now they are ashamed. So they sew together fig leaves to cover them, their shame. That what, that's what we see in verse 7. And in verse 8, they hid from their very creator. They hide from the light, the truth, and the only one that can give forgiveness and salvation. In verse 10, we read that they are afraid. There, there is no stability if they acted against the most powerful God, creator, sustainer, and provider of all things. Then they are not just afraid. They are terrified. They will surely die. Then in verse 14, the serpent is cursed, eating dust all his life. And verse 15, the woman, God speaks to the woman saying that, He's going to multiply child-bearing pain. And her desire will be for her husband, yet he shall rule over her. In verse 16, he talks to the man, saying, Curse is the ground because of you. In pain he will eat of it all the days of his life. By the sweat of his face he shall eat bread till he dies. Romans 8.22 reminds, reminds us of these curses. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We are still seeing the consequences of their sin. In Romans 5:12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 3:10 to 12. It says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All we have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You and I included have sinned. We like to think that Adam and Eve were the ones to bring sin to the world. And we are not responsible of it. But we all have seen as we just read. We all deserve to die. Let us not follow the bad example of our forefathers who blame one another. We all have fallen short. We all have fallen into our flesh, our eyes, our pride. Today, many people ask, why this pandemic? If there is a God, then why? This is the answer here in Genesis 3. Not God. But sin, and sin through us, fallen creatures. It would be awful if the story ended there. 
but thanks be to God and his abundance grace that the shalom is being restored right after Adam and Eve have sinned. God is seeking them. In verse 9, we, we read, where are you? God is saying, where are you? This is not the interrogation of an angry chief military officer, but the call of the heart of an anguished father. It is obvious that God knew where they were, but he also knew that sin had created an abyss between holy, a holy and righteous God and his creation, an abyss that he himself, himself would have to bridge. God cares for his creatures, and even knowing what had happened, he gives them opportunity to explain the situation. In verse 11, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God seeks them, and instead of leaving them naked or with their poor quality, cheap loincloths made out of fig leaves, he shows mercy to them and clothes them with garments of skin. We would not be able to seek him if he had not sought for Adam and Eve first. In verse 15, we see how God is ready, already promising how Shalom is going to be restored. He is talking to the serpent, and after cursing him, he continues saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise you, your head, and you shall bruise her, his heel. This is one of the most profound pieces of the redeeming plan of God. And as we re read, in, we see the Gospels, all of them bringing the birth of Jesus Christ. God is already showing how much he cares, even after his special creation has just disregarded what he had said and the special shalom there was before. The woman's offspring refers to God incarnate, Jesus. Thousands of years later, we get to see how this has unfolded. When Jesus is baptized, a voice from heaven shows the light in him. This is my beloved son in which I'm very delighted. Then, being in the wilderness, Jesus is tempted by Satan, who uses the same strategy as he used with the woman. First, appealing to his physical hunger, a call to his desires, and a call to his pride. But this time around, Satan falls to the mat when Jesus punches him with the word of God. Bernard Ram, a theologian, uh, says in his book, Offense to Reason, the fall of Adam and Eve introduces a problem whose full scope and gravity cannot be put into perspective and certainly not resolved until the Son of God takes our flesh, assumes our burden, and bears it away on the cross as the one true lamb. Michael Williams, uh, he was uh, our professor in Covenant Theological Seminary. He wrote a book called Far As the Curse is Found, As Far As the Curse is Found. And he says, when Jesus comes, prays the prayer of the garden, suffers the pains of crucifixion, cries out in dereliction, dies and is buried, then and only then can we really appreciate the full character of sin, 
Only then do we see the seriousness and blasphemy of sin in all its stark reality. Adam's sin and ours has meant nothing less than the death of the Son of God. Anselm of Canterbury asked, who has truly pondered the weight of sin? And he answers, the one who has truly pondered the weight of the cross. The solution to Eden's problem is requested in Gethsemane's prayer and answered in an empty garden tomb. He is risen. Knowing the cures tells you a lot about the gravity of the disease. We see even now the gravity of COVID-19 and the great need for a cure. But one of the blessings of this evil is that we see people and we ourselves are seeking God more closely. If we don't realize the, the great depth of our rebellion against God and how our sin has created a huge chasm between man and God, we won't be able to fully grasp to what extent God has taken to restore our relationship with him through Christ. I've heard it said that if you don't feel that you are the worst sinner, you know, you may not yet fully understand the gospel. Let me tell, say it again. If you don't feel that you are the worst sinner, you know, you may not yet fully understand the gospel. Only when we see our great treason and rebellion against God himself, we can we then cry out for mercy and forgiveness and trust in what Jesus did through his death and resurrection. He has made a way back to God. When we see that he extends this to us, his rebellious creatures, we can be filled with joy when we realize that he gives us what we didn't deserve. As Tim Keller notes, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. If you don't have a relationship with God, I encourage you to repent and confess your sin directly to God, who is faithful and just to forgive. Believe in the Son of God who sent him to live, die, and rise again. If you have any questions, please contact us through the email provided at the beginning of the service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would be uh, encouraging us on the importance of shalom and what it took for you, and help us seek you at the right moment, Father. We thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's...